This is Tuesday, November 30th. Remember, our study for Advent this year is entitled, You Promised. And we're picking up in Luke chapter 1 with the promise given to Mary by the Lord's angel, Gabriel. Now, I have worn glasses almost all of my life. I inherited poor vision from my mom. She couldn't see the giant E on the vision chart without glasses. But thankfully, my vision is not quite that poor. But in the last few years, I've been wearing what are called progressive lenses. They are unique in that at the bottom of the lens, the refraction is set for reading and close-up vision. The middle of the lens is adjusted for midfield vision and the top for distance viewing. Think of the old bifocal lenses, except with a greater ability for vision through an even wider range of distances. Now, I'm not trying to be technical, but to try and explain how the same glasses can allow for vision close up and far away. God often shares his promises with more than one time element. That is, they come to be fulfilled soon after they are given, but then they also have a fulfillment that falls far into the future. Listen to the detailed wording of the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 20, chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what this kind of greeting might be. Now, why does Luke tell us that the angel went to Nazareth in Galilee? Why the details about Joseph and that he came from the line of David? Luke is gathering up the promises of God from God's word. Promises given earlier and sometimes fulfilled earlier. Promises that show us how God works in the world. Here are some of the promises that came before. This is Isaiah 1, 9, 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of, of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Yes, the land of Galilee had a troubled past. The people there had turned away from the Lord, but God promised a day when all of that would change. Galilee would be honored. God does this because he's a redeeming God. So in a little town in Galilee would be a place where Jesus would grow up, where he would become a man, and where he would begin his public ministry. Jesus would visit the towns of Galilee with the good news and bring the promise of God's peace. The place of disgrace God honored by making it the focal point of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' first sermon, given at a synagogue in Galilee, would be delivered using the words of Isaiah 61. Instead of your shame, you shall receive a double portion. 
Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That's Isaiah 61, 7. You see, when we read the scriptures, we're looking at a beautiful mosaic made of the promises of God. Not one word of the Lord has fallen to the ground. Not one word has been wasted. The coming of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, unfolded based, based on these promises. So when God chooses a woman to bear Jesus, he does not find a woman in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. Now it is helpful for us to remember that when Jesus was born, well, Galilee was like the backwoods. It was a place of little or no significance. Because it was far from Jerusalem, the capital and center for the worship of God, the folks in Galilee were considered to be far from God. They were not respected by their fellow Jews. But here God chose to locate his son's ministry. And why did God do that? God promised. Jesus came in fulfillment of the promises of God. These are the same promises we rest in today. We trust that God has a plan for us and our world because he promised. He spoke his word. Now you might ask, how can we trust God's promises? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of a man that he should repent. He has said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall not make it good? That's Numbers 23, 19. First, God keeps his promises because he can. I think of this whenever I'm conducting a wedding ceremony. We hear the couple speak their vows to each other, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death, do us part. But here's the thing. They do not hold the future. They cannot promise a future that is beyond their control. We can only make these promises in the name of God, as God himself ordains. None of us know what tomorrow holds, but God is the one that holds tomorrow. So that is the first thing about God's promises. He is sovereign. The future is his. He can bring about what he promises. But there's more. This is Hebrews six seventeen to 18 because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I love these two verses. We're told that God has given us two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath. This is what we cling to, looking forward into the future. We have seen Jesus, the one God promised to us, that we might know that God remains faithful to his word, and he is at work in our lives and in our world. And he will bring to pass the coming redemption that he's promised fully in Christ. Let's pray. 
Faithful Father, you have given us your promises freely. We've done nothing to deserve your goodness, nothing that you would pledge yourself an oath to us. Help us to grasp the wonder of who you are, and that you are not like us, but faithful in all things. For in your name we pray. Amen.